Good afternoon and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday Special. Um, this is again uh, another of our breakdowns of the week that was some of the stories that are coming and you know a little bit of, a little bit of um, a little bit of fun. Um, and I'm joined by um, PBP local area rep, new new local area rep for for Clondalk and Dara Adelaide. Dara, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. It's 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 good to see a new fresh face in politics. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really looking forward to representing people before profiting from docking. So it's been going well so far. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 good to see. And he's, we're go, he's good at that already, Tony. Oh, he's he? got it in. And we have seen your business reporter with the business post, Killian Woods. Killian, how are you keeping? Not too bad. Not too bad. We just call you Scoop now, do we? Yeah, scoop though. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sinead Mercier sends her apologies, folks. She's she is um, up on something now, uh, and I don't know if she's going to get away to join us. She's she's trying, um, but we will do we'll do our best. Um, and I'm also joined by Martin. Martin, I am going to come to you first because uh, you uh, decided to make waves by going to the um, to news talk. Our, my mortal enemy uh, and discussing the um, commemoration uh, events for the partition of, of, of Ireland. And you didn't do too badly, did you? Yeah. I, I'm really surprised at how that clip was gone. I thought like, you know, we'll get a couple of hundred watches, you know, yeah, a couple of no, minutes I, on news talk. Can we, can we come in on this and just say, I think what happened here, is Adrian Kennedy was covering for Andrea Gilligan, saw your tweet that said, hashtag Union Jack Chambers, and said, this man's a maniac. We'll get him on and we'll get we'll get a bit of crack. And then you go and hit him with a load of historical facts and how it actually went down. And he just went, next caller, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I felt it had to be said, Tony. I felt that it's important in this conversation um, to have it said. So the clip has about 10,000 hits so far. Um, and it's just basically a, a very skin and bones of why partition exists and the actual why partition exists and what we should be discussing. And I think that's important. I think that we should take it seriously. I think the president has already considered these points and made his decision. And I don't think that our government should be undermining our president's position. Um, and actually, Emma D'Souza, who is regular on this podcast, she shares your views uh, on this, that, that, that some, of the, some of the things that have been said, even though the government re- released their statement saying that they understand the president's decision, they, they then have you know, taken actions. And, and actually, Michal Martin's own statement that he made in Belfast, it was reported in the Belfast ter- Telegraph yesterday, seems to kind of contradict that. So it is, it is a difficult thing. If I, if I could just draw an analogy to what that statement that the government put out, Tony, what it's actually saying is, yes, I enjoy being in this relationship with you. I love you. I, I'm, I'm absolutely besotted with you, but I'm still going to sleep with other people. You know, it's still disrespectful. No, you know, just because you put in the words, I we agree with the president. When you do, your actions don't match your words, and it's disrespectful. This is him having a go at me for still recording with Rory Heron on Reboot, on Reboot Republic every now and then, lads. That's all this is. Um, we will be coming back to the topic, and not just that. I, I spoke to Garrett Mulvena, who's a histori- historian, written some great books on the Tartan gangs and loyalist gangs in in in, in the North, and we're going to cover it from that perspective in terms of the, the, the actual history, what happened on the ground. So uh, Gareth has um, been on previously, but we're going to go back, uh, hopefully in the next week or two, so and talk that. Um, but uh, I want to move on. Um, Killian, can I come to you? Um, 
I want to—is it once a year that Dermot Desmond decides that he wants to be cor- comrade Dermot Desmond? Because this is the this isn't the first time he's come in and sounded like um, he should be joining Dara in Clondalkin on PBP. Um, it was it was an interesting take on on his position on what's happening with 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 housing policy as covered in your story in today's Business Post. Yeah, I suppose I'll answer that, but I suppose Tony, how does it feel to be outflanked to the left by Dermot Desmond? You must be more fine you. Like this is just an embarrassing coup to happen. Completely blindsided. Um, I, it, I'll answer you. It's embarrassing for you, Tony. It, it doesn't. Point. It doesn't matter not when. A, you, not a question. It doesn't matter when you get woke. It's when you. It's just that you did. You know? so go on. Come so on. You know, you're right. You're right, though. He, he wrote a piece in, in 2020 for the um, Irish Times, and then I suppose I think things have been a bit cool that. He seems to, yeah, it seems to be around that March period. And then this was in December of then that year, a long time later, well into the pandemic, he, he wrote again to Dara O'Brien, this, not necessarily requesting a meeting, but saying, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm hearing behind the scenes. This, and this is well before the kind of, the, obviously funds have been buying homes for a long time in Ireland and buying up apartment blocks. And then we see new phase in May where it starts to become more apparent they're buying housing estates now, the commuter belt, and that's still going on and still has happened despite some of the deals falling through. But he was saying in December of 2020, like, this is what's coming down the road. You know, the, 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 what I'm being, and again, what they're was having is, Dermot Desmond is a billionaire financier. He's getting offers for investment all over the place. Usually what he dabbles in is, um, is Irish companies and just some kind of startups in general. And and then he has some, obviously a diamond, diamond project. But it's interesting to see him then he was offered a lot of these deals of getting involved in in these deals for leasing social housing or selling social housing to the state and um, obviously at the ground floor where you you, you say look this is what the Irish governor are, pro- are offering and kind of went to them to say to warn this is what's been said behind your back these people are laughing at you and i'm an irish man and people question some of Dermot Dow's tactics over you know where he pays his tax i'm not exactly familiar with exactly where he pays his tax so it's not here i'm not going to come not going to comment on that but what is interesting is him coming to say i'm just giving you a bit of a heads up guys this is what's happening behind your back they're laughing at us they're saying look at these deals we've been offered taking on essentially irish sovereign debt and getting paid back you know he said i think repackaging up to get 15 percent annual returns at the end of the day that's just a no-brainer and they're laughing at us and you're rolling the carpet out for these again words he says greedy developers and greedy institutional investment funds so yeah you're he does seem to pipe up every so often i still can't work out what his whole motivation is uh, i think some people question like oh look this is the same man who's objecting to housing near in in Aylesbury road near his shrewsbury road um mansion well what he he through a trust is connected to the most expensive home ever sold in the state there on shrewsbury road but i think that's a very different case if we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of that that is he's objecting to legislation that is fundamentally flawed in the courts has been shown up in the courts he could just be making an honest call, Killian. I mean, from the outside looking in, that's certainly what it feels like. It feels like we have some very, very naive, naive politicians in power and that they're absolutely being taken for a ride and they're taking us for a ride. I mean, how many times do we have to hear it before we, we realise that we are being sold off to Vulture Funds for a song and they're very, very happy about it? going to pause the podcast because we have big news we have big news um it's been a while since we've been back on the uh live scene martin but we are going back the tortoise shack is coming back um in november 
to the Sugar Club in, in Dublin, which is a fabulous venue for a live podcast. Uh, the last time we were in the Sugar Club, uh, we were actually the guests of uh, Blind Boy, um, which was a phenomenal night. And we're hoping to do that with some of your favorite podcasts from across the Tortoise Shack. Uh, and if you are a member right now on patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack, the link is there. You can get in there, you can go in, and there's a quite hefty discount for for our supporters, our members. So, you know, it's well worth signing up. But Martin, are you looking forward to getting back? Tony, so do you remember the last time we were on stage? Yeah. I remember the last time on stage. And do you know what? Do you know what came out of that show? That's just really scary when you think about it. We talked about a coalition of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. We talked about... um, uh, we talked. We talked. No, we, we talked. We talked about a hung doll, and yeah. we said, "I said potentially a hung doll." And I remember. I think it was. Was it Breed Smith was there, or, or we were all? We asked everybody because there was people from all the parties across the across the thing, and we asked them all for their predictions. And and I think um, actually no, I'm wrong. It was it was Richard Boyd Barrett and and, and Jack Chambers, your your friend Jack Chambers of the commemorations was there, and um, and and. And then you said something, and this is me not to give you credit. You said, you said, yeah, but then again, this thing that's coming in from uh, from from China might change everything. Yeah, yeah, that was January 2019, Tony. January 2000. God, how time flies. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back into it. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of the tour, seeing the rest of the tortoise shack crew. Tony, really looking forward to seeing yeah. the rest now, of the tortoise well, shack crew. All the podcasts that you enjoy will be on stage in Dublin Sugar Club in November. Uh, patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack well worth it you know like the bloody caught the, the the discount alone is well worth signing up for but also is the content uh support the independent media that you listen to um and it doesn't have to be us it has to be but but, but please because i can tell you we're they're all struggling out there at the moment and uh we're taking a risk going live now but we genuinely think that these are the best shows that um people will get the most fun information and a good night out at patreon dot com forward slash tortoise shack let you go back to your podcast now that we are being sold off to vulture funds for a song and they're very very happy about it well i think it's become normalized in in just in our society in general is that you have to be either left or the right and and, and the right is just this idea of the market and the capitalism will solve everything and then anyone who suggests just a fair alternative it's Brandon's left when actually what there's really Dermot does is just say it's a very center approach. He's not saying he's actually not that left. He just show it shows how far the approach is to the right that for his opinions on just how about just a fair option, not a left up, just a fair. He's been painted as though and as a joke as like the lead new leader of the left or this like socialist Dermot Desmond. All he's suggesting is just an appropriate use of public it, funds, not a, left, not a socialist, just appropriate use. Just use your money sensibly. Stop leasing and buying homes from developers at a huge cost when you could build on your own land is essentially his, his call. But but the one thing I will say, he's not saying anything new. He just happens to be a billionaire saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can point to, I think it was one of the heads of Cerberus who famously said, Ireland is the gift that keeps on giving. 
you know, like this. It, this yeah, no, there is nothing new. And again, even when I've said that before on, on this podcast, is that what kind of kicked off in Ireland this year, and especially since May, when that station, housing state in Mullen, Mullen Park and Maloots was bought, or is now back on the market, but was um, to be bought by an investment fund. That's been happening for a long time and it still is happening and it still will happen due to policy rigged up to sell mainly now apartment blocks to develop to funds in bulk and bulk sales so you know what he's suggesting isn't any new but i think it is irish debate seems to revolve around certain key personalities saying things like one of my colleagues said to me in the business post like it's remarkable how you talk to her like you talk to people in the uk in journalism, they feel kind of disenfranchised with how, you know, how slow policy and how policy is made. But actually in Ireland's reverse is that, you know, one person with an opinion can actually get a lot of attraction and sway a lot of things. Like uh, to, to say that's a perfect case in point of how that, how that works and maybe I'm getting a bit of a tangent here, but that when, when the housing estate in was bought in, in May or was usually bought in May, there was a huge, huge uproar over it. The state then reacted by increasing stamp duty on bulk purchases. Now, Actually, if you go down is the and that was all all, all over public outrage. There was all there was no real basis for for that going up, and I, I think that stamp duty rate is appropriate personally. But there was no necessarily hard data to say that this is an active trend, and this is how many houses are been bought, this is how many housing estates are been bought. This is the because if you ask the Department of Housing how many homes are owned by institutional funds in Ireland, they quote you industry figures. They actually don't know. So in Ireland, what we're having is now policy, and this isn't good either. Policy been made on outrage. And public and public uproar to save political arses when actually we don't know how big a problem funds are in Ireland. Now we're pretty bloody certain, but we don't actually know how many housing estates, how many homes they own, because we're all relying on industry and industry data supplied to them. So if you ask the Department of Housing, they'll say to you 15,500, which is the exact number that CBRE quote. And they, if you ask them where they got that, they'll say they got it from CBRE property consultants who have a huge vested interest in that figure being out in circulation because they represent and work with these funds. So it, it, like it's just all policy in Ireland. People like Dermot Desmond speaking up. Yeah, but I again I push back and I, I I recall like let's let's go back and let's talk granular. I know we've gone off on a tangent here, but let's talk about for example the evictions that happen on Mount on Mount Joy Street, Mount Joy, you know, and when you track back the the owners, you know there was there was there was another name for a different group that was ultimately if you followed the money was sold by Goldman Sachs, you know, like it, it's there's so many of these groups that are that you can trace back to the likes of Cerberus or Hudson or Lone Star or the likes of these. And because it's so well, um, p- the paper trail takes longer to run down than anything else. You know, the loans change hands, but they're all within usually one group. Dara, you're a, you're a, you're a young person um, trying to listen to this. What, how did, what does, what, you know, you must see this and think this is the type of stuff that why, first of all, probably why you're in politics, I'd imagine. And then, and what, and what it, what it says to you as someone who's, who maybe has aspirations one day to, to, to uh, actually have security of tenure or, or own your own home. Yeah. It's one of the exact reasons I got involved in politics because I've, I mean, I've lived and uh, grown up and lived my whole life in Kandalk and, and now it looks like me and anybody my age won't be able to afford to rent or even own a home in the communities that we grew up in. And I remember a couple of years ago, people before profit, we were protesting about there was a vulture fund bought up, uh, not an entire housing estate, but a significant amount. I think it was maybe 200 houses in um in an estate in Shackleton in Lucan. And I mean, at that time, it got very little media attention. And then it's, it, it is kind of difficult, you know, that um, 
I mean, that, that um, estate near Maynooth, it gets a lot of attention. And then, you know, we started to be able to say, you know, in the past, this has continuously happened. You know, it's not something new. But yeah, no, as a young person, um, I mean, a lot of people are, I've seen, I, know, I have a lot of friends who have had to emigrate or are thinking of emigrating because, you know, your chances of ever being able to rent your own space here is impossible. You're going to be sharing with multiple people. You'll have dodgy landlords. That's the can, only thing. And can, yeah, I go ahead. Ask, can I ask a question, Derek? Because you're yeah. new in politics. This is your first foray into politics. Mm-hmm. Did you look at the other parties and then say to yourself, PPB is the best fit for me? Or did you look and say, well, you know, Fianna Gael, I could change Fianna Gael. I could, Fianna Gael could do the job. Or Fianna Fáil or Labour or Sock Dems for that matter. Why was it PPB? It, it was kind of, I initially, while, you know, obviously all these issues mattered to me, I didn't really have an interest in politics. Like I never thought about joining a political party, but it was around the time I was doing the leave insert and when I joined college, I think it was then the nurses went on strike. Maybe it was my second year on college in college. And I went to the protest, obviously, to support the nurses. And we see now, especially during the pandemic, the massive amount that they contribute to society with many of them not getting fair pay or uh, fair working conditions. The student nurses even having to work without pay. And uh, they, the, the, I think it was Simon Harris at the time threatened them with sanctions. No, and, no, no. Um, no the Taoiseach said that he thought yeah. it should, they shouldn't be allowed strike. That's, yeah, yeah. Leo Radke was then Taoiseach at the time and said that he'd like to bring in something to prevent them from striking it. So I recall it vividly. Um, the um, taking, go on, sorry. No, I was, uh, no worries. No, I was on that march and like one of the biggest groups I saw there was obviously the nurses, but then people before profit. And I didn't think much of it at the time, but then I kept going to stuff, whether it was anti-racism, whether it was like, even back, I remember Gino, this was when I was a kid being against the bin charges and the property taxes and everything like that. So I kept consistently seeing kind of the same faces around and the same people involved, which is why I ended up joining people before profit. And, uh, I got mainly involved when Kelly Sweeney, she was a nurse. Yeah. She was running in the by-election in Dublin Midwest. So I thought, you know what, I'll go out and canvas for her. And I got to know a lot of the people and people before profit, uh, a lot of working class people, people like Kelly, who was a nurse who was on these strikes, who was getting treated unfairly. And it kind of, what was what inspired me to join PVP, it wasn't really a thing that I was looking for a political party. I didn't, I mean, when you look at a lot of political parties, you rarely ever see young people. You even rarely, even rarer, it's even rarer to see a black person or gay people involved. So I never saw myself reflected in any sort of, in the political establishment at all. So it's never something I even considered that, you know, you can actually join the political party and fight for change. It's something I hadn't considered until I actually started going to these marches, going onto the Debenhams picket, and I saw the same faces all the time, which is why I joined PVP. Yeah, well, no, I think, look, uh, uh, again, I, I just like to see that uh, when you talk about representation and it can't be tokenism, and I'm, I'm glad that it's that, you, that you, it's, you're listening to you. It doesn't feel to be. I want to come back to Killian because there was a second story, Killian, that you, you had today in the, in the Business Post, and it was about... And I, I, I see there's someone in the audience here who um, is, knows it much better than both of us, Killian, um, in a, an assistant professor in in, um, in in UCD. So we'll have to tread carefully. But um, the, 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 the supply versus demand nonsense that we've heard all the time, that once we increase supply, you know, if, the, if these people start putting it up, the prices will fall. Now, I point out all the time on social media uh, that that's never happened in the history of the state, even when we were making 80,000, uh, building 80,000 homes a year. Your article, though, with um, actually 
it really lays it out in terms of the, the the actual economics of it and how supply and demand is only a very small part of what makes up the the pro- property prices. So do you want to just give a, a summary of that? Because I think it's crucial. And and boy, bear in mind, I'm talking to Ronan Lyons this week, so that'll be fun. Yeah, like, and this is, um, and Ronan, uh, he has researched that he claimed counters this and that his PhD would, would um, counter this narrative that supply doesn't lead to a significant decrease in profits. I think so. This is a opinion again. It's it's, it's got a. I'm just going to rehash what uh, an opinion that Orla Hegarty is in the audience has been has been hammering home and or Orla H. Sorry and, and um, sorry for outing it there. And um, Ian Mulhern, who's a um, uh, and. Uh, was chief economist of the Tony Blair Institute in London as the think tank. And that it's gaining a lot of traction in that showing that actually the, the basic rule of economics of supply and demand. So more supply, more supply reduces prices, more demand, higher prices, um, actually doesn't necessarily apply to housing. And not, not just because of a feeling or an inkling or that it makes sense or that there's people that have that feeling it doesn't. It's actually been proved now across many markets, very, very similar housing markets to Ireland, that it just doesn't work. Or just in general housing markets, it doesn't work. So if you increase, if you, the rule is by Ian Mulhern's standard that he's got from different analyses of, of, of academic research is a 1% increase in total stock so that's overall homes in ireland so but my mechanism it's about two million would lead to a between so that that 20 percent increase in that stock would lead to a between 1.5 to 2 percent drop in prices now that sounds so he's not again i think he and he would say to me a lot of people seem to willfully misrepresent or what he's saying as supply doesn't affect prices he's not saying supply doesn't affect affect prices but if you take it in in broad spectrum like what has actually happened in the in the housing market and how prices have flown up he goes back to the 90s in england where they've increased 160 percent since then if you're thinking about that price increase like a one and one and a half two percent could only be really drop prices by 10 percent over 20 years which is a ludicrous like imagine that's so that's what's going to happen in those intervening 20 years where people are expected to wait out until a 10 percent drop in house prices which wouldn't even bring it nearly back into the affordability bracket and then i suppose you'd look at like again and mel reynolds who spoke to me for the piece um our architect and i call him housing expert i don't think he calls himself housing expert but i call him a housing expert is saying that you know there is a there is it is possible in ireland to do homes for about 200 grand you see it that they are being built in not not in Dublin, not in Dublin's leafy areas, not even the commuter belt, but they are built in around 1,400 grand, so it is possible. But if you actually hear what the industry is saying, their narrative that supply will drop prices completely flies out the window when they say how much price, how much houses cost. I think it's 450 grand to build a average apartment in Dublin and 350, I think it is for a, a house, a normal house in, in the Dublin area as well. So how can prices drop to an affordable rate if the basic cost of delivery before market demands drive the price up even further, how can you actually drop prices? So we're in that tricky situation where how would any supply drop prices? It, it won't. And and it's it never has. I just think why why I'm why I'm pushing people towards this article, because it's not the article that's going to get all the traction. Dermot Desmond gets all the headlines, but this one actually outlines the fact that it's only a tiny piece of it. You mean, we, they talk about credit, they talk about... I had the conversation with Ed Brophy when he joined Pascal Donoghue as, um, as his parliament as his uh, special advisor and he said oh this time it'll be different and I, I remember it's like you can you can check the record he said this time it'll be different and and they're putting pressure on the central bank right now there's a review undergoing to to move the mortgage rules which only will do one thing and drive prices up again that's all it'll that's all it'll end up doing and um, dara sorry you wanted to come in 
Yeah, I'd just say maybe like one problem I see is, you know, treating housing as a form of investment that, you know, vulture funds can come in and buy up and make money off. Because you have like how many homes sitting empty throughout the city because they've been bought by these funds and they know that the housing crisis is going to get worse and the prices will go up. So they leave them empty because they can sell them off sometime in the future. That kind of problem of speculation and the fact that you can leave property or even uh, land unused because, you know, the price is going to go up is a major issue. And the treatment of people's homes as if they're an investment to make money off is, I think, a major factor rather than just supply and demand. Um, I mean, if you have a housing system that provides housing based on need and not profit and, you know, the ever increase in house prices making a, a fortune for speculators. If you have a housing system that's built on that need rather than profit, I think you would see a reduction in house prices because, I mean, something even like the Vienna model where, uh, you know, we have this strange model in Ireland where it's only the very poorest people in Ireland who can go on to social housing lists. And even at that, the lists are, I mean, uh, quite literally endless, <laughs> especially for uh, for some people, you'll keep getting pushed back. But um. I mean, if you have a model where you build housing for everyone of different conditions, uh, of different types, uh, for people from different backgrounds uh, and different wages, I think you could bring down house prices by offering an alternative solution that isn't about profit, that's more about uh, building for people's needs. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I no, think you're no, no, sorry. Killian, Killian, you wanted to come in as well. Just, just, just one last point, again, quick, because I rambled a bit there, but the one thing I think that it's quite different to what Ian Mahern has, and I haven't really heard in, in an Irish context before, is, and I don't necessarily agree with him, but um, he says, maybe we need to challenge this narrative that politics can even solve or even address the housing crisis like maybe we need to really think like they and again i i don't necessarily believe this is true it maybe and maybe this applies to an english context or in a uk context because we do have a lot of land we could build on in Ireland. we i think we do have capacity to ramp up our um, our own social housing building and address need that way and build it ourselves but he would say that maybe politics politicians over egg their actual effect that they can have on housing policy in its current form. In the current form, if way, the way it's rigged, the way it's rigged towards investment funds at the moment and tempting them in and trying to get that capital moving it, it to, to their to the government's benefit, can they actually affect it? And I don't think that would you won't hear any politician say that. Because why would they? Because a lot of them are pinning their hopes on housing and getting a hope and getting elected on housing. But maybe we need to challenge that idea that they can't actually. Well, that, well I don't know, is that is that is that revolution? Am I wrong there? But no, I, never, I, no, I, was he wrong? I I think too that that also applies with climate action. I think it's very clear that applies with climate action, and I think the two are very linked as well, Gillian. So no, I think you're right. I I think we've we are now looking. We've seen the NDP. We're looking down the next 10 years 12 years and honestly it's not there for either housing or climate it just doesn't well, look, exist it, it, like you see roads versus climate action been been very much on the agenda this week and unfortunately Sinead's not here to talk on that and she is the she is the master but she will be back during the week and we'll we'll do it at, at some at something else but it also points to when you when you mention Killian about about the, the inability to get things done the inability this week we see to get Slauncha care done the, the the you know the state's failure to act on the on the on the mica protests and and again not on the mica protests we have to look at mica not just as this one standalone thing that's happened to housing we have to remember when home bond home bond went kaput over a decade ago they didn't make 
make the upgrades that were required to fix things, to, to bring things on. And, you know, there is an element here that we we're kind of hoping, you know, well, we got hit by the once in a generation flood. Uh, maybe the next flood, we don't have to prepare for it. You know, we, we, we won't be in office when it happens, but it has happened again. And that's the thing. And to give a bit of props to Housing for All and Dara and Dara O'Brien in this sense, the two best things in Housing for All mightn't even come into effect in the lifetime of not even the next government. So he is he, in Housing for All, the, the amount of affordable housing units being delivered on, pub, on any private lands will increase. In fact, they have to provide 10%, all developers have to provide 10%. That won't even start coming into effect, possibly the 2026 and at the latest 2032 really, if you look at how planning permissions work. And then even the land value sharing deal to try and end speculation, again, 2026 beyond, it's very far away. So there you see a perfect example of the way the policy system is rigged, the way property rights are rigged in Ireland, even politicians can't take short-term action to do anything. He has put in place, and I said this to him, so he put in place two quite good things, but you will not even possibly be in that brief to see the benefits of it ever. Yeah, and or the or the next party or the next party could tank it. And, yeah, and, and exactly. And I'm just going to move the conversation a little on um, with pensions and and the announcements in and around pensions about the pension age going up. Gary, you'll have to work till about seventy eight. Well, yeah, it looks you like know, it. they are looking at pushing the pension out to 72. And the longer they delay pushing the pension out to 72, then the higher that age becomes. And this is what they're telling us. But on the other hand, they're, te- they're absolutely fighting tooth and nail not to have corporations pay tax in this country. And the pension is a fundamental right, a fundamental basic right of people in Ireland. And do we really want... And it, the amount of, of people going over 65 is huge, massive. Mm-hmm. Do you really want all those people forced to work in the workforce? I mean, it's absolutely outrageous that this robbery is going to happen. And they're telling us it's an extra fiver in the budget for the pension. No, no. The pension has already been cut by over 12,000. It's going to be cut by 3,000 per year compounded going on and on and on for the next decade or more. And that's not giving you a fiver extra in your budget. That's the generation who've already been hammered and hammered and hammered again, getting hammered into old age. I think it's despicable. I think I've seen Paul Donahue in the, the Irish Times online this week, and he's, he has said, if people actually realized what's happening with pensions, there would be outrage. Martin, get off the fence, please. Go on, Dara. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, it might have been last week or even this week, um, Revenue, I think it was Perigo is the name of the company. It's an American company. Oh, yeah. Something like 1.3 billion euro in taxes, and they got it written down to 300 million. I mean, this money is there. The money is there. It's being handed away to corporations who, I mean, even in terms of the the social uh, tax that they pay is far below the, the average in Europe. So it's not like... I mean, people have worked their whole lives up until pension age. It's not a thing of, you know, we need to tighten the belt or something. The money is going somewhere. It's going into maybe the the private pensions of people who can afford to invest in investment funds or these companies like Perigo, who I think already make millions uh, in profit. That's where it's going. It's kind of a corporate pension to companies rather than to the people who are actually working here in Ireland. And just, it's the same, just, with, you know, just yeah, to go come ahead. in on the Perigo, the, the, that, that deal. So they got a write down of about 85%. Good luck to any individual trying to get a write down of 85% with the revenue commissioners in this day and age. But I would also 
broaden it and say, for example, Monster Energy put 1.3 billion through Ireland and didn't pay a cent on it because they used our system to sell intellectual property rights to themselves via other vehicles. So the, so the key to this is even when we talk now about the new corporation tax deal and you know it won't apply to companies making less making more than 700 less than 750 million. The easiest way and Killian you know this, the easiest way to avoid paying taxes to not make any profits. And many of the the REITs and the and the investment funds and that that we talk about, they're set up in such a way as that a mothership effectively um, lends them money to 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 do to deliver to buy these properties that they charge an interest rate that's designed to wipe out profits, and that's how. So so they won't even come into that net at this stage. Um, I I put it to you that it's 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 actually built into how we do business, and what's what's great about these conversations is that people are actually getting to see it now. They're saying, hang on, you're telling me I got to work an extra um, an extra seven years, but you, you're refusing to collect that. I mean, again, I, I, I know you've covered it, but I just think these the, the, the main aim of these companies is not to make a profit. Yeah, and I just find it so frustrating that what all it's been kind of talked about here is a fair system, and that will be painted as... A radical left idea. It is, it's a crazy. I keep going back to that point, but I think it's just crazy that that we're at that stage. And it's a it's a broader narrative issue that we're in. And I think that's what's actually what Ian Mulher is very good on is talking about how these narratives are spun in yeah. the world. And sometimes you forget. Sometimes you actually you, you forget how the narratives are spun. You forget. It's like, well, hold on. Why? 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 Why would in any in any world like you've got the some of the biggest house builders in the country complete like saying we need you know we need to address this housing crisis and stuff like that. Like we well, need to step step back for a second and say, well, why would you? Why would you bother saying that? You benefit directly from house prices flying up. Why? And you kind of think your opinion, like it's not meaningless, but like we really need to take what a pinch of salt. This is ridiculous. Like how can you possibly sit there and tell us supply is an issue where and, and this and we need we're, we have a plan to boost supply when you have a direct profit benefit from the supply and the and the pit and the, the current market staying forever. And that's what you see when prices will drop and they they will drop eventually it'll happen the building will slow down exactly. to maintain the price at that exact yeah. level because yeah. that's and, and, and say that's crazy it won't happen of course it'll happen and if it doesn't they're the worst business people in the world and they're not they're very clever because they got into this stage by being very clever and they'll be so clever to maintain it that happened in 20 at the beginning of 2020 when the um when the general election was starting we were seeing that house prices were starting to level off and directly you could see very hard to see it but you could see from the commencements the biggest home builders in the country started to slow down building they started to slow down building because if you slow down building they were trying to find that absolute sweet spot where if we deliver a certain amount we can we can we can get it we can get that price right where we need it right in that mark where we make the most amount of money and you see that you see that actually Cameron Murray I think is his name he's, he's a, an Australian economist talking about housing he sees you look at it, how the how the property um, giants in Australia talk about property come in in the media compared to how they talk about property in the in their in their actual invest to their investors is is alarming he says in the media they'll say we've got plans for fifty thousand homes. It's like, great, you're going to build 50,000 homes, brilliant. And then they tell their investors, we've secured 20, you know, we've secured 50,000 homes and permissions that will be spread out by 2,000 a year over, my maths is bad, X amount of years. But that's how they talk. So the, the, the narrative from Spun there is, well, 50,000 homes coming. Yeah, 50,000 50, homes coming over 20 years. Yeah, but the, there was talk. Back, in, back in that period, if you recall, they were talking about 18,000 uh, homes a year. Now we're talking 35. 
Uh, but as you said, it's about the d- developer led when, because at the same time, go back, no one's advocating for 2008, but we've built 93,000. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge, there's a huge discrepancy of what the market can take. And as you, you're right to point out, these people are smart enough to do it, but it leads me back to also some of the corporations tax stuff. And again, conscious of this, because we put, uh, please go check out the pods we did this week with some of the, some of the best people in, in the world, like uh, leading uh, the jury, the jury Alameo is, is one of the leading global tax um justice experts in the world and he talked about it through without putting green tinted lenses on you know he spoke about what it meant for the developing world we had we had to get jorge costa's one um uh coronado's one uh translated but he spoke about the fact that latin america is going to lose out by bucket loads on this new deal and you know we need to we need to understand there's a bigger game at, at stake here corporations are in effect, bigger than the Irish economy. So they're going to dictate a lot of terms. And it's up to, so seven countries have done this deal. And the other thing I want to point out, and I've said it again, so you're probably all fed up with me saying it, but I'm really pissed off with the amount of people saying, well, Ireland Ireland got certain assurances and Ireland got um, got this <laughs> yeah. got this deal, you know, the, that the, the 750, that was in the deal the G7 agreed on the 9th of July. Yeah, it was that's it, true. It, that's 100% the, true. The, the line you can read it. The only problem is too many people didn't take the time to read it. And then, but the, Tony, the, the, I think I think this too is leading us on to a situation where we are seeing in politics, and and you and I discussed this a couple of months back. That there's now openly a talk of a heave against the uh, the leader of of Fine Gael because people are beginning to understand, beginning to see how hopeless this tangent we are on. Where we are literally being, our, our government is being dictated well, to by foreign powers. No, you're wrong. You're, there's a heave against against Leo Varadkar, but the heave seems to be against the. You go. He gave a speech, and Killian, you might remember this, and I don't know if Dara, if you if you heard it, but he gave a speech that people thought sounded too lefty to Ibeck and too uh, too um, fiscally irresponsible. That he was promising everything to everyone, and it would get Finnegale away from its um, its idea as being fiscally prudent. And that didn't go over very well. It's been reported by Hugh O'Connell that there was open, you know, senior ministers or former senior ministers at the at the parliamentary party meeting telling them that 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 this is not good enough. And we've known for months that there was always a split there between the Gareth Fitzgerald wing and uh, Leo Varadkar wing. But it just seems to be me that like, you know, he, he's taken a bit of flack for this killing. And I'm sure that that's the rumblings that we've not rumblings. We've heard it. It's been reported. Yeah, actually, I have a question there for you. It's a good one for everyone to pop the, keep in mind, and maybe uh, I think it's telling of where Fine Gael are at. Is um, who's Fine Gael's housing spokesperson? That's very interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Go on, Jen. Anyway, who who is it? Don't know. Like who's Sinn Fein's? Oh, we all know. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fianna Fáil yeah. have the minister. Like, yeah. the, like, like that's what I mean. Like, how can a party in power? Is, uh, is it, no, it, no housing spokesperson. Is it not? Um, what you call him? Well, but does not tell me in English. No, 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 he's not. He's he's an enterprise. They've no, they don't have one. And why don't they have one? Because they don't. Who, who would who would actually take that? But you see, Richard Bruton does it every so often, but he's not. Yeah. He and and he, he usually doesn't do very well at it. Um, but like, <laughs> it, but it's interesting. But that's a party who like is has the biggest. They're in power, and there's a bit. There's the biggest problem in the state, really is housing long-term. I mean, and the climate is right, right alongside with it. They don't have a spokesperson. And I find that 
crazy. Makes sense of that. <laughs> That's absolutely great. What a poison chalice it is that no one in the party, no even up and coming person, like, you know, I'll take that. Like, usually there's someone saying, Joe, I'll, they're cocky, you know, say, I'll take that on. No one's taking it on. I think you should ask very, Jack very Chambers. Ask yeah. Jack Chambers, he'll do anything. Uh, well, I get the vibe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I get the feeling sometimes, like, I mean, there's been a lot of problems with students recently not being able to get accommodation, that sort of thing. And Simon Harris has disappeared. Like, they play, Finnegale play a very good game of, like, uh, disappearing when there's a problem and turning up when there's a solution sort of thing. Like, even when Simon Harris was Minister for Health, um, I mean, during a lot of the scandals that he caused, you wouldn't know that he was Minister for Health right after the election and during the election. Uh, uh, Owen Murphy, who uh, recently resigned, completely disappeared. You did not see him um, at all on any Fine Gael social media. So I'm not surprised they don't have a housing spokesperson, although I wasn't aware. I was trying to think there... Um, who it was, but yeah, no, I didn't know. But Dara, just remember, and it's not widely, it's not another thing is it's it's very seldom recalled. But Simon Harris effectively brought down the last doll. You know, it, it was mm-hmm. they, they weren't going to survive the, the motion that was coming, and they decided we'll pull before it happens, and and we went for an election. And that and that's that's and that's not to have a code to single out Simon Harris because his stock is up. It, 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 there's a lot of talk about. You know, uh, open talk on, on, about Helen McEntee, Simon Harris, and uh, poor old Simon Coveney's been left uh, in, in the Hapney place. His, his candidacy for the leadership of fin- Finnegale seems to have um, diminished extremely. But, but, but what's so amusing about it is, is that Leo Varadkar, uh, who was, they, they, when they elected him, again, a former senior minister in fin- Finnegale, told me uh, across on a cup of coffee, he said, he looks good on a poster. But he's failed in every election, and they're, and they're getting pissed off with it, you know. Because to be like to get it all part of some people are thinking in their head about the Simon Harris like, calling them out now, um, and he is on paternity leave at the moment, which is why he's not out in public. But but student accommodation was a problem in August, and it was a problem last September as well when he had his brief. And student housing, specifically purpose-built student housing, has been converted into non-student housing last September and the September before that and September before that this has been a lot so I just to be completely in, in, fair to him that he's not in an office the moment that he is opportunity but also he was well in office when this was happening last September and hasn't said anything about it and no one actually like uh, uh, Lee Chanel has been very good in Dublin Choir but calling that out I was reporting on it a few years ago as well when I spotted the student housing and converted out of the sector but this is not a new issue so you're, you're right there like it, it is they have gone to ground when and it's not it just- really is it's not just, an easy uh, solution as well. It's not just Fine Gael. I mean, Fianna Fáil have their own internal strifes at the moment as well. In particular, the 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 uh, commemoration up north is causing somewhat of a division. Um, uh, the, the I believe it's in the papers today that that the the some of the party faithful are very unhappy that the the anti treaty party would send a representative to commemorate partition i mean so they have their own issues in there they, as they, well that that's the least of their problems but the only thing is the polls bear out that they've they've actually pulled they've gained on finnegal they've gained um and, and that says more about finnegal than it does about finnafall um dara you, you guys now here's my here's my here's my pushback at um you 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 gave me this when you said you, you came across um, people before profit because you met them at all the protests. So so you're the party of protest, but are you the party that wants to get things done? Yeah, of course. I mean, like 
go into protest is one part of it, but offering a solution is the other part. Like recently with the uh, data centers issue, this is just the first thing that came to my mind. Madeline Johansson, who's our councillor for my area, well, sort of part of Clondalkin and part of Lucan, had put forward a motion. This was ages ago before it came, uh, before it became really became newsworthy that we're looking at uh, blackouts during the winter. She had put forward a motion during the uh the, the development plan to put a ban on building more data centers. You now, unfortunately, it was voted down. But I think it's a thing of we have offered solutions, but it's more about building people power behind those uh, solutions to get them done. Because um, other things like, obviously, it wasn't just us, but things like the marriage referendum, the eighth, uh, repealing the eighth, the water charges, all that sort of stuff. You can offer solutions, but unless people get up and get behind them and get active, you know, it's difficult to fight against the establishment uh, when, you know, they don't necessarily agree with your solutions. Yeah, so, but, you're, but, you're, but you're saying the establishment and at, at some point, you know, you have to say when when do we have a, when we have a critical mass that's of the left and killing your right to say a lot of these ideas are not radical. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be seen as radical. They should be seen as just, you know, fair taxation, um, single tier health service, decent access to education. All of those things shouldn't be radical, but they seem to be in 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 Ireland of 2021. Um, how do we how do you how do you push back against that without being told you are the radicals? You know, how, like, how do we like how do we change that narrative, Dara? It's a difficult it's a difficult square to circle for a PPP. Well, I'd say there is plenty of stuff that we do. uh that we do put forward that is radical, that is stuff that uh, might not be so popular. But every now and then it's kind of confusing sometimes that I'm often like, yes, I'm a socialist. And I go out saying, you know what, these are other capitalist countries that have solutions to these problems that even Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil won't take. I mean, there's like the Conservative Party has been in charge of Germany for how many years now and are more to the left of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on some issues despite that. So sometimes you're saying stuff that isn't too radical, that's just sort of common sense. And you still get called, um, uh, whatever the word is, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you get like put down bang, as, the, bang, you know, the bang the table brigade is, is what yeah, is yeah, what's, but, what's, what some people refer to it. And the cult of civility says he was rude because he used a, an F word once on a tweet, you know? Yeah, I, I think that kind of politics where you're talking about how, uh, um, you know, oh, he's too loud. Oh, they protest too much. I think that is sort of coming to an end because we've seen massive protests i i mean fair uh, fair play to everybody in donegal who has come down and they have banged the table and they've said you know what we're going to stop everyone driving on the m50 and we're going to be a nuisance and uh you know i really sincerely hope that there's a fair and um and just and quick solution to the mica crisis uh, i mean it's a part of the housing crisis that i i feel like i hope there's a coalition that forms from people you know who are suffering under other problems with the housing crisis but yeah sometimes you do need to bang the table and you need to be loud and you need to complain you know Killian, last thing uh, for you. Then he uh, just—it actually ties into the to the Micah scandal and the idea that there will be nothing about it in the budget. I wonder if that's a cost issue. You know, I wonder if they're trying to keep it uh, out of the figures for for next year. But because uh, I know a deal is is imminent, they say by the end of the month. What are we are we looking at? Dara O'Brien getting all the goodies um, that he wants for housing, or, or are we still? Because I believe that the exchequer is very happy with the uh, the uh, the. Um, additional one billion in corporation tax that we didn't even know was coming and and that's every year we get our corporation tax underestimated and and it's a sh- shock horror i don't know how that happens yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is there any good anything in the budget for housing you mean yeah specifically I, 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 
I'd be shocked if there was anything we didn't already know about, like I, at this yeah. stage. Like, and I, I again, I think this is probably it's because well, a cliche at this stage. Like, it's the budget's already all announced before the budget actually released. Genuinely, this year, I don't know what surprise they could possibly pull out of the bag because we've had two major, huge, like long-term plans announced, like the NDP and then review the NDP and then on housing for all. Especially in housing, I'd be, the only thing I might be in it is a. What the new vacancy home tax or vacancy site tax might be, or whether whether it will be reviewed from the seven percent it is now, I'd be so be shocked. As I, I haven't heard of anything that will be substantially different from what's in because they've spent so much long fighting over housing for all. I don't think they've the fight to get anything else in it, or they're happy out with what they have. Probably pa- Pascal Pascal doesn't give uh, doesn't give away sweeties usually. Let's tell the truth here. Well, uh, well yeah, I and mean, we saw that because like. He's back to banging the drum about that Indicon report that says vacancy, a vacancy tax, and vacancy home taxes won't work. So maybe we won't even see it. Maybe they're going to properly push back against it. It was in housing for all that they would look at it. Really, no, no firm um, like commitment. They said that by by this date we will have looked into it by Q something of twenty twenty two. So we're no guarantee though it will be. That would be the only thing that might be in the budget. I'm, I just want to say one thing before we go on on um, on obviously what's happened with Solange Care this week is is kind of. Depressing. Um, we've seen two senior civil servants, very highly paid, drafted in to give some sort of cover to the fact that not three, but six people, members of the committee have resigned. Um, and it's very disheartening. And it's very disheartening because I've spoken to former members of that, that committee and, you know, they, they feel they haven't even been listened to on their way out the door, uh, despite what, what um, Robert Watt and Stephen Donnelly and have said at the committee during the week, they feel they haven't been listened to. So, you know, take take from that what you will. Um, if I could end, just because it's great to be surrounded by my gal pals here. Um, uh, it's because it's, you know, it's lovely to have such a feminine, rep- feminist representation on this podcast today. Uh, it's great because myself, like, I feel like Josefa Madigan expressing solidarity with Pretty Patel here at the moment. So I'll leave that for another. Martin. Yeah, I just want to say before we go that, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues happening at the moment, but I think some issues are slipping under, and I think pensions in particular is one, like Killian, you're in that age group where you'll be returned into your late 70s, and, um, you know, it's really a daunting, daunting thing for people to be working that long, and when there are other solutions and other alternative things that we can do, so that, and it's also about letting letting younger people into the the, the workforce as well. I mean, there's there's many good reasons for a reasonable pension age and very few good reasons for pushing it beyond 65. It's just not in the radar of people my age. I'm, I'm 31. It's just not in our radar. Like, it should be just, it's another mammoth of a topic. And to be quick, short enough, and I don't understand it well enough and as well as I should. It's just a mammoth of a topic and people just aren't interested in it. It's crazy that we're not as a, people in their 30s, millennials, but we just, well, I think I think it's it's very much like it's very much like climate action because I look outside the window and it's nice at the moment. So I you know so I can't see it. I go well, you know that's not too bad. But the but the simple fact is it's it's a real, actual world changing you know phenomenon that's actually it's undergoing. A, it's a, it it will change society. I mean, it will absolutely fundamentally change society. I mean, it'll change your traffic jams in the morning. Yeah, but it'll it, change your cues for your coffee at lunchtime. I mean, it's a fundamental change. Listen to the listen to the pods that we did about about um, nothing kills like hunger um, this week because I can't brilliant. brilliant. And we'll be going back to Katrina Dowd um, again about it about how that's how 
the these these globe the globalization of food and food as the weaponization of it and the weaponization of water how that's changing everything on, in the face of the climate action um Dara Adelaide, thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's great to actually meet you on Zoom, even as it is. Killian, thanks for coming back again. Apologies, uh, I know Sinead got uh, waylaid, and this this happens. Um, I'm going to hang on if anybody has any questions, and we will we will plug Martin. We're going we're going live. 